All right. Well, this is the first of what we hope will be many podcasts. This is COVID College. I am your host, Jack Povolaitis, a college sophomore. And with me is... Co-host Sean Lonergan, college senior. All right. As I said, this is the first of what we hope is many podcasts. I figured we'd just start out by kind of saying to the audience why we wanted to have and make this podcast. So um, we wanted to bring to attention the rapid change in daily life at this moment in history. It's something that hasn't, pandemic like this hasn't happened in a really long time. And we feel that it's a moment that college students are experiencing in a really unique way compared to all of their age demographics. And so being two college students, we, we feel that we're in a unique and well-placed position to talk about those changes that we're going through. Tied in with that is what is the podcast about? So the podcast is going to cover a lot of the different topics and the different ways that the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted college students' lives and a little bit the broader American public, but being college students and liking to focus on ourselves, we really feel that we're the most impacted. So we want to, we want to talk about ourselves. All right. Well, let's dive into it, shall we? Let's dive in. <laughs> well, I think the first thing that any student, college student, I should say, first thing that comes to mind is, you know, how, how's my, how's my family life going to be once I, once I get back? I mean, it's a bit awkward. Uh, the title of this episode is When Your Mom Is Your RA, and, you know, I think that couldn't ring truer in this case. How, how we balance those, those relationship dynamics, uh, it's a struggle for, for every student to some extent, but for me, the first thing that comes to mind is how are these chores going to work out? We give, you know, anything from yard work to garbage, the dishes, of course, vacuuming, laundry, just to name a few. How do we navigate this, Jack? Like, how, how has it been for you adjusting uh, when it comes to chores back in the house? It's been, uh, it's been quite an adjustment. I would say I got very used to not having to clean my, uh, my quad in college, and I, uh, I was not used to having to take out the garbage, you know, every other day and, and vacuum a couple times a week. And being in, in the suburbs of the Midwest, I have, there's a yard to take care of. So it's been lots of yard work and walking the dog and trying to figure out if I can get away with having my mom do my laundry again. So it's been, it's been an adjustment. And I know that some people feel it more than others, but it's definitely been something that I don't know if I've appreciated having to uh, work for my, my keep again. It's one of those odd things that makes you feel like you're back in high school, back before you were 18 and, and your own person in a lot of ways, but you know, you got you gotta maintain the place you're staying. So I, I understand its purpose. Yeah, I for one got used to a, a certain lifestyle in college where, you know, you have you have those responsibilities. I think a lot of students come in at different levels of their competence when it comes to those kind of chores. You know, I knew I knew a number of kids coming in who'd never done laundry before, and I I was like, I've been doing this since I was seven. I mean, what is this is this is nothing new. What's what's the I I, I didn't understand. I was like, who are these? Who are these people? Like, where do they come from? But I think that's part of the college experience, right? You have different people from different backgrounds and accustomed to doing different things. I think once I made my way back home, I think, you know, I was kind of in that groove where obviously you don't want to, you don't want to do the dishes, but 
and you get used to the dining hall where people are doing them for you. So that was probably the biggest thing for me is the, the you know, you just throw your dishes on the tray. Some people say thank you, some people don't, but that's another issue. <laughs> but you, you you get back home and you got to fend for yourself. Same thing with the garbage and the yard work. That's what your money's going towards at college, but you get back here and you're like, oh, yeah, chores exist. So I think one of the many shocks to the system that uh, happens once once students make their way back home for this extended period of time that's been the, the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, chores. Yeah, I, I, uh, I agree with that. Pondering over my routine a little bit more, and it made me think about the slow buildup of trash and garbage and bottles that would culminate with Friday night and Saturday night with beer cans and, and everything and all that trash and then the 2 a.m. inebriated calls to Domino's and, and everything and then Sunday morning you wake up and you say all right it's time to dish all it's time to you know ditch all the all the trash and everything and everyone pitches together and does their part where I can't really build up that type of that type of trash around the house here otherwise I'll get a sandal to the head but yeah <laughs> I'm thinking about I'm thinking about dinners I'm thinking about food I'm a growing boy and you know family dinners that's a whole nother animal right one of the one of the few pleasures in quarantine I might say is you know along with taking a walk and outside and you know what you might have a pet you might have a dog you might walk your cat you might walk your rabbit I don't know I'm not one to judge but uh I think cooking cooking comes to mind here yeah, I was just I was I was just thinking the same thing, you know, it's getting about that time of day for me and the stomach's rumbling a little bit and that's another thing that's different. I personally employed the policy at college where it'd come around dinner time and I'd send out a, a a couple of the same text messages to a couple of people asking, you know, who who wants to go get dinner, who's wants to walk to the the dining hall or, you know, the cafe and grab some food and you know who else is hungry? But here, it yell upstairs, and I, you know, I yell, "Hey, mom, what's for dinner?" Or, or I'll just walk up there at five o'clock after my mom eats the the early bird special for dinner, and I make a, a box <laughs> of mac and cheese. But I definitely think sitting down for family dinners and or however you eat dinner is is definitely a, a readjustment for me. Yeah, you might even think of it as a blessing and a curse, right? You're expanding your horizons, right? Instead of you know, you have your dining hall, you have the school deciding, you know, what array of foods you can eat. Now you have, you know, you got Google, you can, you can really search up and, you know, cook up whatever your, your heart desires. Let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about fine tuning our cooking skills and, you know, reminding ourselves that uh, there's work that goes into this food. Any, any favorites that come to mind with home cooked family meals that have been made in the past, past few weeks? Definitely some uh, some fan favorites and some recipes that I don't know if they uh, should be online anymore. <laughs> Definitely some some of the fan favorites that come to mind is a salmon sandwich, which is really simple, just like some salmon, lettuce, and and mayo. In my attempt to ease the stress from my mom cooking dinner, I I tried to cook. I've been cooking every once in a while, but I tried to I shot for the moon a little bit. And uh, I don't know if I had the propulsion to get there. I, I took a recipe for a sort of like an Indian curry dish and I had to cut the proportions in half and I cut everything in half but the spices. And so, because uh, <laughs> I forgot. And so we, we pulled it out to cook and 
it smelled just a little bit too strong of paprika and cumin and chili powder and then we tried it and it was a imagine the smell of a a spice market condensed into a powder form and then Mm. like that like that's exactly what it tasted like Mm. but uh just a little bit too strong so (laughs) no bueno (laughs) um but yeah definitely i think it is a blessing and a curse there's i've regained my appreciation for what it takes to cook a meal and what goes into it but having to do the dishes before and after or having to cook itself or having to wait definitely it takes its toll and i don't think is something i i miss <laughs> i can vouch for that as well i think yeah you underestimate the time that goes into making a good meal you know you have the you have the meal prep you have the cooking itself and you have like you said you have the, the cleanup we, we already talked about the dishes but yeah, that's part of the that's part of the process, and you think of the time of time of day that that takes up. Like I didn't even realize cooking on any typical day probably takes at least an hour, maybe two, two plus, depending on you know what kind of meal you're making. So, but I think it it's a blessing in the sense that you're you're expanding your horizons, and well, there's a lot of good that comes out of that, especially for someone like me who's going to be uh, living on their own and not depending on the college rations. Rations is a little bit closet. I think uh, it's 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 better than rations, but it. You have a whole new independence when it comes to making your food in the pandemic, and I think that's that's been a it's been a mixed uh, mixed bag for a lot of people. Speaking of mixed bags, Jack, the big big thing that I think a lot of newspapers and media agencies have been looking at is where where do these students go? What are they doing? You know, for people like you and me, I think we are pretty fortunate to be in a a stable home situation. We don't have to worry too much about where our food's coming from. I'm still doing part-time work, but that's not something that I depend on for the essentials. There's a lot of people who are, a lot of students who are out there who don't know where they'll be living maybe in the next week, next month. They could be in a very, you know, day-to-day living situation, and a lot of them are working quite a few hours. And then you, you tie into that the financial aspect, Trump bucks, if you will, of which we are beneficiaries of none, Right. They got the $1,200 one, and since most of us are claimed by our parents as dependents on taxes, we don't get that. But we're too old for being a kid, right? We're, we're too old for that. That's that's a 16 or under kind of deal. So we're missing out on all of it. That's that's led to a lot of frustration as well. You know, that's a lot of money for someone like you and me. <laughs> I mean, I, I had my plans ready to go, and then I uh, I read the I read the New York Times one day, and I said, well, there goes that one. On to the on to the next thing. I had, a, I had a tough time getting over that one. What do, what do you think about, about that kind of uh, that situation, Jack? What's, what comes to mind for you? You make a lot of really well-said uh, well points there. I think one of the things on top of that that comes to my mind is the international students at schools. I know that it's specifically, I mean, at Oberlin College where I go, that a lot of international students are in a situation where they could go home, but if they go home, they can't come back. And especially if schools are able to resume back in the fall, but they might not be able to be let back in to come to campus. So they're in this situation where they're still in the dorm rooms. They're still eating that that dining hall food. They, they don't have a place to go to in the States and they don't have a place they can't go home. And so I think about those students who are kind of in this lockstep position where they can't move, they can't. They can't go forward, but they can't go back. But yeah, I mean, that's, this kind of brings into the question is, are there things bigger than school in a person's life? And if there are, 
how does a school accommodate kids who have to come home and work to help their family make the mortgage bill or pay for the food or keep the lights on or how does a school help a student still go to online classes if they don't have a home to go to or if they're in a situation where they have to go stay with a friend you know so i think that I think that it's a tough question, and I don't really think the answer is just to let those students... I mean, if the students need to just take the rest of that semester off, I think that that's what is the best option. But I think that, I mean, schools have been really creative with finding solutions, whether it's pre-recorded lectures or having a universal pass. But I definitely think that there are some options for students beyond just going into lectures four times a day keeping that same routine where maybe that student during the day has to go work. Maybe they have an essential working job now. So I think that there's a lot of tough questions to to be answered in terms of where do students go and what are they doing? And that, that sort of brings me into something back in terms of home life. But before we get into that, we're just going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Okay, and we're going to just jump right back in. One thing that has uh, crossed my mind in talking with my friends and and in my own sphere of life is siblings. I have an older sister, and Sean, I know that you have some siblings, so I think that this brings up a really interesting, some really interesting conversations that don't necessarily affect the two of us too much specifically, but I think that there's a lot of college kids in America that are feeling these questions in terms of personal space and your own privacy where you left for school and now your younger siblings or or your older siblings that left before you are coming back and there's this whole re-evaluation of what is privacy how much of it do I get how much of it do they get where does my personal space end and yours begin you know stay out of my personal space I was, I was wondering if you had anything to add on that Sean yeah I mean you covered that pretty well but I for one have two younger siblings who are no longer little Time came in my life where I knew my brother would eventually uh, overtake me in height and weight, and that time has passed. Turning home to the Lonergan household was quite the, quite the rude awakening when it came to uh, you know looking up at my brother instead of you know looking down on him and giving him requisite noogies. That he uh, that just came with being a little sibling, right? That was that's the package deal. <laughs> you assert your dominance until you can't anymore. That point it's, has come for me. So <laughs> he's huge. He takes up a lot of space. He's, uh, he's got a very um, strict sort of, I don't want to say routine, but he, he, has his, he has his spots on the couch. He eats his food. He eats as much food as he wants. You know, there's, there's, there's that constant battle for real estate in the house. I think the personal space privacy bubble is definitely an issue. <laughs> I think it depends on what your relationship is with your sibling going into it. But a lot changes, right, when you're away at college. You know, for me, it's I, I'm a senior, so... I would only come back for a few days at a time for breaks, and now this this extended period of time, you really get to know them in such a way that you haven't since uh, you'd begun college. It's definitely a change of routine. You definitely have to accommodate other people. I think it's something that you just have to hash out, right? It's part of being mature adults in some cases, or in others. My my sister's 16. She's also in that uh, sort of phase where she wants her <laughs> her personal space and that's something that has come pretty easy to us. I think it's definitely something on everybody's mind who has all college students' minds who have siblings and, you know, the constraints that come with that arrangement. When it comes to 
things to do, I think one of the, the first things that comes to mind for me is we have Netflix, we have Hulu, we have HBO, the whole nine yards. Depends depends on uh, you know who you are, what, you know what your subscription package is, but I think uh, a lot of people can relate to uh, the struggle of trying to trying to figure out the best thing to watch because in times like these, it, it runs out pretty quick. And we know book and we know books aren't an option. That is that is clear. That if you're under thirty five, absolutely, you can't read. Absolutely, yeah. There's no. There's no reading outside of school. I think that's an unsaid rule for everybody. <laughs> so, you know, the, the natural next step is, you know, what is there to watch? And, you know, we can't watch sports, so we're kind of confined to movies, TV shows, that kind of stuff. We got podcasts, but, you know, mostly TV shows and movies. The first, uh, first big thing that came out of pandemic was Tiger King. Jack, I assume that you uh, indulged a bit there. Definitely uh, think I watched it in maybe a day and a half, if it even took that long. I remember several times going down to, quote, go to class, being a couple minutes late because Tiger King was just a little bit more important. Which, listen, Joe Exotic is a, he's a captivating guy, and you can't blame me for turning up to lecture a couple minutes late if, you know, he walks in that tiger cage with one of those leopard print shirts on. I mean, at this point... If anybody's to blame, it's the professor for not making class as engaging as that show. But I definitely indulged. I don't know if the show would have been so uh, such a cultural hit if we weren't all forced to do nothing but sit and watch TV. But I definitely think it's so weird to think that that was the early quarantine days when we were still thinking, oh, there's a chance we could go back to classes where now we're sitting here. It's already old news. People aren't talking about it anymore. But yeah, that feels like months ago. And that was maybe what, two and a half weeks ago as of now? Things happen quick in quarantine. It's been a weird last six weeks. You know, Netflix is just kind of a microcosm of those decisions that you really didn't think you'd have to be making regarding how you're going to spend your time. I think a lot of people, I think most people have a lot of time on their hands. You know, classes are cut down. Professors are having to reconstruct everything. This is just a plug for our next episode, by the way. I don't want to go into uh, too much detail here, but you know, a lot of adjustments are being made, including those in, with entertainment. I think you bring up a good point, Jack, when it comes to uh, the uh, content that we choose to watch during during quarantine. That That's something that is, I think, very much different to something we would uh, choose to watch otherwise. Tiger King is one of those shows. I think I would have watched it anyway. A lot of really good, really good content in that show. I, I was, I was hoping there'd be more, more to it after that. But Joe Exotic is in prison, so there's not. I don't think there's much more to be said on that matter. They added an additional episode, which. Oh, they I did. Know if I you, didn't see that. I don't right? know if you saw that. That was, uh, that was quite the doozy as well. Um, I, I'd recommend that. It was a little bit. It was kind of a postmortem kind of thing where they. Uh, they interviewed everybody, the, not not Joe Exotic, of course, just about every every other big big name in that show, and they kind of checked in on them. I think it was comedian Joel McHale. I think that was a good way to feed the yearning for the uh, the quarantine public for uh, a little a little bit more of the Tiger King experience. So, but yeah, there's there's just a lot a lot of stuff out there, and I think if there's any any company uh, or set of companies doing well, it's streaming services in this pandemic. So. Yeah, that, that leads us to our penultimate bit of the day where we close things up. God, what an idiot. And that, of course, is a name that we haven't mentioned today. It's hard to avoid his name when you're talking anything uh, related to quarantine, as he has just about 
as much power as anybody in the world. That's that's the best Trump quote. You know, as this uh, podcast series progresses, we'll keep up on this, and I'm sure there'll be plenty to choose from. He's got a he's got a plethora of I don't want to say good good things to say, but uh, certainly entertaining. Certainly things to catch your eye. We will definitely be checking back in on our friend. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Jack, I'll turn it over to you. What was your best Trump quote of the last several weeks during quarantine? As you said, penultimate first attempt at looking at the many lovely things that our uh, dear man in the White House has said. I reached a little further back to one that might have uh, escaped many people's sort of comb of the news. But this was during a March 30th phone interview on Fox and Friends. President Trump said, I'm going to attempt a poor impersonation, but uh, I get calls. I get a lot of calls on the governors to call me where we'll have all 50 governors plus where we'll have some territories to but we'll also have 50 governors. And then he goes on, he goes on and he continues to say that I've had hundreds of governors call me about this pandemic. Now, I don't know how many of you are geography buffs or U.S. history buffs or just um, general knowledge buffs, but you may know or you may not know that there are only 50 states. And so for Trump to get the amazing number of 100 governors to call him, that sounds a little unlikely. I'm not going to put anything past him. He's clearly uh, gets a lot of phone calls, so it might just be possible that 50 extra governors gave him a call. That's my quote. Perhaps, perhaps. Curious to hear what which quote that you have found for us. Well, in a similar in a similar vein, I think it's coming up on two weeks now. There have been a number of movements across the country at state capitals, Texas, Michigan, Ohio, to name a few, with calls to liberate the country. I don't want to go into the details. Trump was a fan of this. You know, we, we saw a, a number of tweets, and all caps, of course. You know, the the, the all caps on the uh, these Trump tweets are absolute necessities. That's how you get maximum attention from the public there. How it's, else would we know that he cares? How, I mean. Exactly. He's just he's just trying to communicate his excitement, his pure excitement of what he's saying. And he, he was just one after the other. Liberate Minnesota. Liberate Ohio. Trump seems to be behind these movements that are anti-establishment. That's the big irony with Trump, right? The anti-establishment president. But no, he wasn't done. Once, I believe it was Georgia, Georgia announced they're going to be opening up soon. Trump wasn't too much of a fan of that. I'm saying best Trump quote. I'm going to paraphrase here, but he he said, uh, yeah, that's not happening. You can't be doing that. A little bit early for that. A little bit early. I think if there's one if there's one person in the world, you wouldn't be surprised saying that it is Trump. Quite the individual we got there. Quite the intellectual I will say. Agreed. It almost feels as though, with that quote, it seems as though Georgia was uh, giving him exactly what he wanted in in supporting him there. And he, you know, he doesn't just want the states to come forward and say, no, we'll give you what you want. He wants to have to fight for it. He wants to work for it. And so it it almost uh, seems like he got what he wanted too easy. And so it turned sour too fast for him. Right. He's a champion. He's a champion of the people. And he uh, he's a rebel. That's for sure. He is a rebel. (laughs) Anyway, that, uh, that ends our uh, Trump bit for the day. Um, that'll be coming back each and every episode right at you. So we're going to close with uh, a little bit of a sneak peek for episodes to follow. Now, I already uh, hinted at it a bit, but next episode is going to focus specifically on college from afar. So we're going to be focusing on classes, uh, Zoom education, that kind of thing, talking about you know how, how that's been working out for us personally and how we th- think it's going to work out going forward. 
Next, we're going to be talking about unhealthy and healthy habits that we've acquired throughout this quarantine. Following that, we're going to have a little social life episode. This could be a, this is probably going to be a two-parter. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, hookup culture, stay in touch with friends, all that jazz, extracurricular activities to follow, so sports, anything, anything the outside of school, we'll be covering that. Graduation, you know, the following summer, that's, that's another topic we'll be covering. And then looking to the future. So for Jack, he's only a sophomore. He'll be going into his junior year. So it's going to be a little bit different for him. And then for me as a graduating senior, what's life in the real world going to look like in the long term following this pandemic? That's that's what we're looking to discuss and give a little bit more intel on in regards to that. So there you have it, folks. That's what it looks like going forward. From Jack and myself, we would like to thank you for listening. Yeah, this is COVID College. Till next time, signing off. This is Sean. We'll see you next time. This is Jack. COVID College is written and produced by Jack Pobolaitis, Sean Lonergan, and Sydney Pobolaitis. The show is edited by Sydney Pobolaitis, and the cover art is made by Grace Martin. The intro music is made by Kevin McLeod.